Hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with a vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall be Break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, you've made some mighty promises this morning. God, you've made promises that are, for us, as finite creatures, difficult to grasp. For God, we live in a broken world. God, we live in a world that that seems more broken every single day. Help us, God, to claim the promises you've made. These mighty promises of streams in deserts of blooming flowers, of joy everlasting. God, reach within us and change us this morning that we might claim fully the promises that you have made. And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts together be found acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. (laughs) 
I've lived near several interstate highways. It doesn't seem very remarkable, does it? I-40, I-30, I-10, I-20. In places near those highways, the freeways are just a way to get in and out of town. But I've also spent several years living near and driving on I-35. No other highway that I know is the topic of conversation like I-35. It's as if it has a life in and of itself. It has a personality, an identity, and a bad reputation. (laughs) And it's a reputation that precedes all the construction that's going on downtown. Say I-35 to someone around here and there's an instant reaction, an involuntary tightness down deep in the gut that happens before you've even had a conscious thought. I-35 doesn't get invited to all the best highway parties. They tell I-35 to go stand in a corner. I-35 gets shunned and cast aside. I've driven I-35 quite a bit. In 1975, it brought me to Baylor as a freshman. And from 2007 to 2010, it brought me back and forth to Truett Seminary every week during those three years. I've spent a pretty good chunk of my life behind the wheel passing exits for Elm Mott, West, Abbott, Hillsboro, Italy, Waxahachie. I-35 stretches 1,558 miles from Laredo, Texas to Duluth, Minnesota. According to Google, it would take 22 hours and 56 minutes to drive its entire length. But that's not what gives you the feeling in the pit of your stomach when you hear the words I-35. No, what gives you that feeling is unending construction work, lane changes, rough pavement, concrete walls, countless tractor-trailer rigs hurtling toward you, and traffic backups that happen without warning and seemingly without reason. The number of trucks continues to grow, and the construction seems to be without end. There are, times, there are times when it seems as if simply getting on that highway is taking your very life and those are the ones you love with you in your hands. Who knows how many St. Christopher medals have been sold to I-35 drivers who felt the need to have a deeper connection to the patron saint of travelers. I also wonder how many preachers in Baptist pulpits just mentioned St. Christopher this morning. But let's take a minute and let's think about highway as a metaphor. While Diana Vitanza, Steve Swanson, or Tom Hanks are much more qualified than I am to dig into metaphors, let me take a theological stab at it. Highway implies motion or progress. There's an assumption that something better is ahead or else why would you go? Highway also implies intentionality. When you get on a highway, someone has gone before, has gone on ahead of you to prepare the way. A route has been selected, materials and tools assembled, and a lot of work has been done 
to help you get where you're going. A lot of planning and labor for which the traveler owes a debt. A return trip to Waco yesterday afternoon down I-35 had a whole different meaning to me after a week of thinking about highways. In today's text, Isaiah is talking about the most wonderful kind of metaphorical highway, a highway where hills are leveled and curves are straightened out, a highway that's wide and clear of traffic, a highway that passes through deserts that are in bloom and flowing with life-giving water, where wobbly knees are made firm, where weak hands find their power again, where those who are fearful find their strength. This Advent, we've been exploring some of Isaiah's messages to God's ancient people. Our first two passages were to a people under siege, whose safety, security, and very survival as a nation were at stake. Their enemies were at the gate waiting on the word to attack. But today's text was written to a people after all of their worst fears had come to pass. The attack did indeed come, and it resulted in their being carried off to Babylon, to exile, to captivity. They were a people who had lost all hope, or so they rightly might have thought. Isaiah tells them that their God is still around, even though the temple where they thought God lived was gone. In effect, they were learning that God was wireless, that God transcended even the temple God had commanded them to build. And even more than that, Isaiah is declaring that God is building a highway, a highway for their return, for their return to nationhood, to safety, to security, a return to home. Have you ever noticed how much of the Bible happens on the move? Abraham was on a journey. The Hebrew people left Egypt to return to the promised land, a land none of them had ever seen. We usually refer to that as the Exodus. That's another significant biblical event, one that we, and there's another significant biblical event, and that's when the people of God were gathered up and carried to Babylon, the exile. The idea of being on a journey, a physical journey, was not foreign to our ancient ancestors, and neither is it foreign to us. Do you remember the first time you went home after leaving for school or for military service or for a job or a career? Do you remember how wonderful it was to see your old neighborhood, to smell that home cooking, to see your old friends and renew time with your parents and your siblings, to sleep in your old bed? Do you remember those feelings of comfort, of familiarity, of safety and security? To be home is to snuggle up into familiarity. It's to return to that place where everybody knows your name. 
We make those journeys this time of year. Going home is synonymous with Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's why the highways and airports have their busiest days during the holidays. Year after year, we all long to go home. Mary and Joseph were on a journey too. Jesus was on a journey before he was even born, a prenatal journey to Joseph's ancestral home so that this little family could be registered for the Roman census. I wonder if Joseph got an extra tax deduction that year. This little family no doubt longed for a different kind of highway. It wasn't an easy journey. It's about 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Imagine walking from Waco to Dallas, but add in a lot of hills, walking uphill and downhill, walking on loose rocks and mud, slipping and sliding a lot. Imagine walking 90 miles in constant fear of being eaten by bears or lions or wild boars. Imagine being in danger from thieves, murderers, and smugglers with every single step. Imagine walking in winter covered in thick, heavy woolen garments made heavier by soaking rain. Imagine taking that journey while pregnant. Nine months pregnant. Pregnant and unmarried. Imagine the shame and fear mixed in with unending fatigue. There's hardly any way that we can really understand what it felt like to make that journey. It's such a familiar story. We hear it year after year after year. But let's not let that dull our appreciation for how difficult that journey must have been. Think with me about a family from Honduras, a nation with the highest murder rate in the world, a family struggling for food, clothing, and shelter, a family literally struggling to survive. Another struggle we really can't appreciate. They see their own highway, a highway leading north. And they're going to walk too. But they're going to have to walk anywhere from 1,100 to 2,500 miles to reach what they hope will be their new home. They're going to walk through lots of desert. They're going to be at the mercy of thieves, murderers, and smugglers. They don't know what will await them when they reach that border. It's a story that repeats itself all across the world. Refugees are on the move from Syria, from Iraq, from parts of Africa and Asia. In 2019, there are approximately 70.8 million people who have been forcibly displaced from their homes. That breaks down to 37,000 people forced from their homes every day by conflict and persecution. It's only by the grace of God that we're not on that kind of journey too. We're surrounded by people on journeys. We too are on our own journeys. 
Isaiah says that God has built a highway for us, a highway that leads home. Isaiah describes a highway engineer's dream, a highway that makes I-35 look like a dirt path. It's a holy way infused with the presence of God. It's a safe way filled with protection from danger. I especially like that it's a highway from which no traveler, not even fools, can go astray. I don't know about you, but I find that especially comforting. And it's a highway filled with joy. Glorious, magnificent, everlasting joy. Joy that can only be expressed in song and a joy that chases away our pain and our hurts, our sorrows and sighing. I hear John's revelation in those words from Isaiah. But if I might be so bold, it seems to me that this highway is something more. It's a highway built on our own transformation. Transformation as individuals and transformation as communities. It's a metaphor for change that can only come from God. Transformation is the way home. It's the way back to what God meant for us all along. It's the way back to true safety and security, acceptance and love. It's the way back to where everybody knows your name. It's transformation of both who we are and how we are. It requires us to embrace change in the depths of our souls, change that must work its way into the very manner in which we engage the world around us. True transformation leads to changes in the way we see the world, the way we see each other, and the way we actually engage each other. It creates safety in our souls that opens us to the variety of ways that we can partner with God to engage the world. One conversation, one person, one act of openness and service at a time. What highway is God building for you? How can you partner with God on the construction crew? Reaching out somehow seems easier during Advent People seem to be safer, our hearts seem to be fuller, our self-expectations seem to be higher. Ask yourself how you might act on God's transformative love this season. Maybe you need to pick some more stars off the mission tree out in the hallway. Maybe you need to find some other way to help folks who are on their own journeys. Lakeshore, we are an activist church. I know from reading our history. I know from seeing all the different mission activities in the newsletter. I know from seeing the mission tree in the hallway. I know from hearing your stories. But to paraphrase the Apostle Paul, have we laid hold of it yet? Is our transformation complete have we done and become all that we're called to do and be? 
It's a question we must all answer together. Since we are Baptists and we're all called to be priests, we all have the privilege and the responsibility to answer that question for our community and for ourselves. I don't know about you, but I know I have some work to do. I know my transformation is not yet finished. I have some more mission I'm called to do. I have some more person I am called to be. I have some more relationships that I'm called to redeem. I have some more selfishness I need to hand over to God. My transformation is not complete. And I suspect yours isn't either. Transformation. It's one of those big God words we use. It's a big word that means change. But it's change that goes to the depth of your soul. Change that we can only attempt in partnership with God. Change only made possible by God's coming Messiah. The one who is both on the way and yet already here. It's change made possible by a glorious highway built by God to take us home. Home to be what we were always meant to be. It's a home that's filled with joy. Joy that's mine. Joy that's yours. And joy that we can only fully experience it, experience when we share it with others. That's the joy of Advent. When God brought that joy to earth in God's very person. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray.